0: cyberspace the final frontier these are the voyages of the good trash genre cast it's continuing mission to explore strange new movies to seek out new meaning and new analysis to boldly go where no podcast has gone
1: into the good trash genre cast, where a bunch of guys who used to be part of the film society still love podcasting so much that we've just kept on keeping on casting our pod out into the ether for you in the internet community to listen to about films that have no business in a film studies course. This week's film is Star Trek Into Darkness. And before we get into that, though, we need to do some introductions. This week, we have a
2: special guest host. My name is Khan. To my right, the ja- the dapper ginger gentleman himself, if you would, sir. My name is Philip Harvey, and I am a recent graduate from UCO. I would like to be a linguist when I grow up, and I love watching movies and playing video games. Also, long walks on the
1: beach. And uh, you can send all your dating inquiries to goodtrashundercast at gmail.com. Across the
0: table, if you introduce yourself, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm a podcaster, not a missile technician. <laughs> Thank you, sir. torpedo technician. You know, when I dreamt about being stuck on a deserted planet with a gorgeous woman, there was no torpedo!
1: The man who wears a stocking hat in the summer, if you would, sir.
3: I am Arthur Gordon. I promise not to reveal any information that could affect your destiny, so I'm gonna do it anyway.
1: I'm Justin Sells, and I'm actually demonstrating multiple attitudes at the same time. To which are you referring? Moving right along, uh, we're going to be talking about a little movie called Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, We will be doing spoiler, spoiler, spoiler things because this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, though we do begin with quick analysis and a synopsis. The synopsis we always get is from the voice of the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon himself. If you would now please, sir.
3: After the crew of the Enterprise finds an unstoppable force of terror from within their own organization, Captain Kirk leads a manhunt to a war zone world to capture... A one-man weapon of mass destruction.
1: Bum-bum-bum! One-man weapon of mass destruction could... Wow. They have WMD. They are making sure the implications are clearly linked, even in the synopsis. <laughs> yeah, it's Thanks, pretty... Had to be. Pretty... Holy cow. Pretty on the nose. Huh. Well, we're going to avoid spoilers as we give our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. Just does this thing work or does it not work, and maybe a reason... Or two, why it happens to work. And, uh, then we'll go ahead and get into spoiler territory. We'll talk about how finally Kirk and Spock kiss at the end. But not till the end. Oh, thank
0: God, finally.
1: I mean, it's about time. Forty years. (laughs) Make it legal, Starfleet. Moving right along. Well, so, we need to find out whether or not this will work or not for us. Personally,
0: where our biases lie. I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Good, not great. You know, and it's good, not great, uh... And pretty much the exact opposite way That the other Star Trek 2 is good not great um, That one's Real thinking, not a whole lot of fun This one's a whole lot of fun and not Nearly thinking enough um, This is a really, really dumb movie um, And I like it I mean, it's a good, good bit of fun, but I can see why uh, There is a contingent of hardcore Trekkies That don't dig on this franchise uh, But it's fun, and yeah.
1: what more do you want? I, I agree, thank you for that very much Mr. Philip Hart, what do you say?
2: it's a wavering thumbs up I I share most of Mr. Stewart's um, complaints about the movie I remember the I remember the second the the second Star Trek movie with uh, the Wrath of Khan and I remember how much it was a lot more thinky of a movie and this one just seems like it's reaching for some great lofty thing and trying to scare you like Wrath of Khan did and at the same time but it just seems to fail. both. The first, second Star Trek movie.
1: Right. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Phil. Uh, Harvey, I appreciate that very much. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what
0: do you say?
3: I think it is fun. A lot of things work for me here. I think the Enterprise is beautiful. I love the design of the ship here. Uh, I love Cumberbatch, Carl uh, Urban, Simon Pegg. I think they all really work well here. I think Simon Pegg's casting of Scotty is brilliant. Maybe some of the best of the cast. Probably seconded by Carl Urban as Bones. I would say that's one of my favorite things about this franchise. is
0: <clears throat> They're all doing... Uh, doing a version of the original performance without veering too far into outright impersonation, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I think it's an interesting yeah. uh, choice they made.
3: So I, I enjoy that. And Chekhov. I think Chekhov's really good. I love Anton Yelchin a lot. He doesn't get a lot to do here, mm-hmm. but I do enjoy him. Um, I think I think the direction's pretty solid. I, it's just a big blockbuster, and I think it works in that way. It's just big, stupid fun. Mm-hmm. It's really the best way to describe it, as opposed to something like Wrath the which you two have already uh, hit on. Um, I do feel like repeat viewing's hurt this a lot, and I think it just kind of shows its flaws a mm-hmm. lot more yeah. when you watch it more. Shows
0: true facts. Yeah, this is uh, what. How many times have you seen it? At this point?
3: I saw it twice, uh, thirty. Yeah, this is my.
0: I saw it twice in theater, so yeah. this is my third. And yeah, I, it just, shows. It hurts without that uh, that super immersive theater going experience. I think the cracks in the definitely yeah, are no. much crisper.
3: So I, I I still think it's fun. Uh, I'd say fourteen trash cans out of seventeen. Nah, that's probably too high. That's a really That's 14 a out of 20 17 That's is a very specific amount of trash
0: cans
2: 14 out of 20 That's a lot of trash cans First <laughs> off yeah. They're small I like They're small trash, small trash cans, trash cans Like medium
0: sized trash cans Like
3: curb trash Waist cans Waste bins really Not for, really like those. Bathroom waste bins
1: No
0: I gotcha Dustin Sellis What do you think about Star Trek Rises the Darkness? I like
1: it uh, Mostly Mostly I'm kind of with you in the sort of ambience that I feel about the lack of thought that goes into the script. I do like the design, uh, set design specifically, yeah. of the Starship Enterprise. <clears throat> I really like those clean, sleek sort mm-hmm. of, well, it was made at the, uh, obviously, it was made by Steve Jobs and the guys at Apple, and you can see that design. It's
0: that dialectic of life and art. Right Star Trek creates Steve Jobs Steve Jobs creates Star Trek <laughs> Steve, Steve Jobs Sure Star Trek The <laughs> woman inherits The world Star Wars inherits The earth Yeah
1: <laughs> So I, I like that I don't like The lens flary okay. Crazy thing That J.J. J. Abrams back. That J.J. Abrams Says Look look I'm making this movie Look look It was me I made this movie this is a JJ Abrams movie. Hey, would you not think about this
0: dialogue as you think about how this is my movie? I'm so glad you said that because I, I thought forgot to. Uh, it's obnoxious and it's it's not even like he picks a good time to. do It's not like a, a sweeping like panorama. It's like when <laughs> it, there's an emotional like. Heartfelt thing going on. It's like lens
1: flare, and
2: especially since the original Star Trek, the television show, relied so much on dialogue and like deep intellectual mm-hmm. conversations, it just drains the brain of this movie even more.
1: Now that said, the editing is quite frenetic. It's, it would something would make the ghost of Tony Scott proud. I love how fast the editing is put together and how the action is is, is placed. The, 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 Fight scene with the Klingon battalion. So good. It's fantastic. It's never boring. This movie. It is, it, that that is excellent about it, but it is not thoughtful at all. I just want to say one thing: if John Harrison can beam to Klingon, you don't need starships. Stupid plot hole. I'm done. I'm done. Exactly It's ridiculous By the way, they just invented that last episode Or the last movie We are losing beagles that belong to admirals Because we're so scared of transport technology By this movie, just a few months later it appears We are able to transport one person From one planet to another I think it's supposed galaxy. to be a, I think it's supposed to be a couple years later uh, I Nonetheless
0: I But yeah, no, I agree uh, And well, We can't get a lock on them or for, for whatever reason, they can't beam Harrison aboard they'll be able to beam him aboard after Uhura and Spock kick the shit out of him. I don't, I don't it doesn't make any sense.
3: There's the fact that Uhura of... asked if they could beam anybody down after they've already beamed Spock down. Yeah, Correct. yeah there's a lot of weird no, things. No, the no. idea
2: is that they could beam Spock down and not beam somebody up.
0: And normally I don't care about this sort of thing, like, oh come yes. on, we're just a Trek. Speaking <laughs> of Star Trek Rises into Man of Darkness, um, I didn't, I, you know, there's a lot of people who a lot of beef with a lot of plot holes and Uh, Dark Knight Rises, I didn't care about any of those. Here, though, I'm just like, there's so many!
1: Well, this is the show that's known for its thoughtfulness, how it's investigated the science, and has put together things that are not actual, but plausible, possible, Mm. or at least fanciful in the sense that it makes sense that these leaps could take place. And what the screenwriting in this new Trek sequel Mm -hmm. um, or reboot franchise has done has has taken away that aspect of it. And again, as we said, I understand why the diehards are angry. Because this is is not Grandpa Star Trek. And frankly, Grandpa Star Trek was better uh, in that sense. Now, these are maybe more entertaining movies. Set me down with the search for Spock and I'll go to sleep. I will not go to sleep watching in the darkness, but at least the search for Spock was emotionally powerful, if not um, somewhat
2: biologically plausible.
1: All right, let's move on, gentlemen. There you go. You know, our bias is kind of, meh, mostly that, and with inaudible, inarticulate bias, sort of against, but mostly enjoying the popcorn Fiasco, that is Star Trek Into Darkness. Let's now get into some analysis and let's talk about what this puppy means. I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you, sir?
3: I want to look at Into Darkness as a textbook example of the classical Hollywood style. Do so. In the classical Hollywood cinema authors, Bordwell, Steger, and Thompson use B movies as a case study to prove this theory of the classical style, something that would come out of uh, we moved from the first experiments with film into the silent period and then to the studio system which gave birth to this classical style that we know and love where uh, essentially uh, out of Hollywood the blockbusters the studio films and even most independent films for the most part nowadays uh, which are mainly just films distributed that could be picked up by a bigger studio there's nothing really groundbreaking about indie cinema on the most part anymore Um, essentially narrative is key narrative is king in these films um There is nothing more important than narrative in the classical style. This is the rule. Uh, Some generic rules or tropes may override this as an exception in horror or mystery where obscuring the truth, i.e. who is the masked man, is central to the development and fulfillment of the film's plot. Into Darkness quickly becomes paramount as an example of this style, as almost every bit of dialogue, action, and sequence is filled with exposition. We see this most accurately with Spock, who is almost 100% relegated to plot exposition through his dialogue. Everything he says, he is worse than Legolas.
1: Captain, the prime director states, yeah, it's ridiculous. Why didn't you inform
3: me that she was the daughter? Oh, it wasn't relative until now, so I'll tell you right now. Enemy of my enemy is my friend.
0: An Arabic proverb attributed to a prince who was betrayed and decapitated by his own subjects. Uh, Still, it's a hell of a quote.
3: His actions and fight scene at the end aside, every bit of his dialogue is expository in nature. Even when it isn't, he's simply the angel on Kirk's shoulder weighing the consequences of his action and thus acts as Kirk's conscience, which allows for him to foreshadow events. And we see this in the climax of the opening sequence when the two have it out about sacrificing one for the many, uh, which becomes the central motif throughout this film as Kirk struggles to regain and control his temper and his brashness and Spock is logical, just like the first movie, all over again. Uh, we see even more of this blatant style of exposition when Abrams nonchalantly reveals that Bones is working on blood experience, experiments with Khan's blood and the Tribbles. Sadly, that's the trouble with Tribbles sometimes. They are nothing more than secondary <laughs> plot <laughs> devices.
2: Well played, sir. <laughs> Did you just? <laughs> Proud of
0: you.
3: Uh, the foreshadowing in moments such as these is so heavy-handed uh, that you just want to groan, and this is one of those weaknesses that shines through the the more you watch this film because we already know the plot and so we don't need Spock telling us every time we watch the movie what's happening because we already know. And so that's one of the things that really shows through in the cracks if you watch this more than once. Uh, Honestly, Into Darkness at times, uh, while I enjoy it, is lazy, paint-by-numbers filmmaking at best. Uh, If someone was curious as to how to make a summer blockbuster from production to marketing, Into Darkness is the archetype of blockbusters and temple films since The Dark Knight. We see this with the poster where the villain looked over a decimated city, which was the kind of hallmark of movie posters after The Dark Knight. Man of... Steel Rises. into Steel Trek. Yes, exactly. So, there you have it, gentlemen.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Gordon. I think that is astute
2: observation. Mr. Philip Harvey, what do you say? So, uh, the fact that dialogue has been mentioned a lot in this conversation makes me both happy and scared. Because my, I'm going to analyze the dialogue in this movie, but not actually how what it does, but how it sounds. I want to preface this by saying that I recently attended a conference with someone from Vietnam. While there, I learned that Vietnamese is a tonal language, which means words are ch- created by changing the sound or where the emphasis lands. For example, the Vietnamese word for mother and ghost sound similar to untrained non-native speakers, but they are totally different. Traditionally, speech is vitally important in Star Trek. We talked about how okay. it was a very thinky show. But so is the tone or pitch of that speech, as opposed to Star Wars, words before phasers or lightsabers. It pres- and in this movie, speech presents an unspoken hierarchy within the movie. Those the deepest voices have the most power. And so I'm going to propose this hierarchy: Peter
1: Weller, right? I mean, that's
2: yeah, that's where this is going. I'm getting to it.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, because yeah, because dang that voice, right? Okay, I, I,
2: I I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. This is exciting. So the hierarchy is the Nibiru natives. Dr. Marcus, Chekhov, Scotty, Harewood, uh, Mickey from Doctor Who fame, the dad at the beginning of the movie who blows up the place to save his daughter. Mm. Uh, Sulu, Uhura, Spock, Kirk, McCoy, Pike, Marcus, Weller, Khan, aka Benadryl Cumbersnatch, Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> really, we have about how he's Khan yet. Yeah. Uh... And finally, the Klingons. Oh, uh, yeah. So here's my so here's how the deeper the voice or tone of your speech, the more power you have to ignore or control the speech of others. Now Khan versus Hayward is the first example of this, but I want you to tuck that into your back pocket for a minute and hold on to it. Now you got Kirk versus Spock, minority versus the voice of reason, and the vol- whole volcano scene. Mm-hmm. Kirk is te- Spock is telling Kirk to leave him. Kirk is like, no. In this instance, Kirk has a deeper voice because he's like, I'm not going to leave you behind, Spock. And so he ignores Spock's request and takes him out of the volcano. And so when Kirk and Spock face up to Pike, Kirk tries to overpower Pike, but Pike overpowers him with his deeper voice. Okay. Okay. And also, something else that tuck took away in your back pocket. Bruce, Bruce Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Pike says to observe and report, not interfere with the native life. So tuck that into your back pocket. And we also have Kirk versus McCoy. Now, I think we'd argue that Carl Urban has a deeper voice than Christopher Pine, right? Definitely. Basically. So we, we would argue Carl Urban has a deeper voice than Chris Pine, but the reason that Kirk is able to ignore McCoy in my hierarchy is because McCoy constantly uses idioms. Kirk at one point tells McCoy not to use idioms. Enough yeah. So the metaphors. Enough <laughs> so the metaphors. And no, no one else in the cast, even Spock, when he tries to use an idiom, does it horribly. It's like, the idioms in this film are a sign that you should not be listened to. Hmm. Kirk versus Scotty. Scotty is another voice of reason, but Kirk also ignores him. And they also, and also to build on the fact, Star, uh, Starfleet also ignored Scotty when they confiscated his transport beaming device. Um, Kirk versus Chekhov. Chekhov is obviously unprepared for this job, and Kirk still ignores him. Remember how high pitched Anton Yelkin's voice is? Mm hmm. Now, this is where Spock actually gets the one-up on Kirk, when he finally convinces Kirk to not just blow Khan up with the missiles. That's where the hierarchy is reversed for a moment. Um, and then we come to the example of Uhura versus Spock. You know when they have that um, the gunrunner ship? Mm-hmm. And they have that whole deep conversation about how she's angry at Spock, that whole thing. Well, Uhura deepens her voice to be recognized in this boys' club, but is continually ignored in playoffs. Spock's response immediately gets him back into Uhura's good graces. Immediately. And uh, there's also the joke, when Kirk is getting his guns ready and trying to protect Uhura, Spock goes, you will incur the wrath of Lieutenant Uhura as well. Spock may have been serious, but to the audience it was not. It was a joke. So even though Uhura tries to make herself sound serious, the other characters and the other male characters take her as a joke. And the Klingons versus Uhura, they have the deepest voices in the whole movie. Yeah, they talk like Bane on I don't know voice steroids. <laughs> they have the most authority, which he probably was already on. <laughs> to be fair, and um, I argue this is where my argument comes to fruition that this is the reason that Marcus wants a war. He fears them, right? And Khan and Ker- and so then Khan busts in and kills all the Klingons, removing the most powerful, <laughs> deepest voice. Now Khan is the deepest voice, and in the Khan versus Kirk art debates. Khan easily overpowers Kirk. Um, Kirk continually tries to dominate Khan but fails. Shut your mouth! You are a criminal! But Khan dishes it right back, and instead of and Kirk listens to him. It's not what Kirk wanted, but what Khan wants. And this also contributes to making Kirk an, as an underdog, as well as in camera angles during these conversations. Now we go further into the movie, where Marcus is finally cut off with the Enterprise and is bearing down on him with the big Galactus-level death ship. And, um... That's funny. Death that Star on Wheels. Pretty much. You have Marcus versus Dr. Marcus. She has no choice. She gets beamed aboard the ship. Her. Marcus versus Kirk. He also has no choice. <laughs> Dead or alive, you're being transported by me. <laughs> exactly. And so you have Khan versus Marcus versus Kirk when they're all on the bridge of the Death Star on Wheels. Khan wins because his voice is the most dominant. Benadryl Cumbersnatch has the... is the voice of Smaug the Dragon in the new Hobbit movie. His voice is arguably the most impressive because of the range and depth of it. Mark Weller's voice is awesome. Yeah, it is. But Cumberbatch's voice is deeper. And he also is able to crush Weller's skull. Which is... Yeah, he should have let him sleep. Yeah, exactly. And so what we've seen so far is the domination of the higher pitched voices of the lower pitched voices... And now it gets flipped on its head when Spock convinces Khan Con to believe that he is in a weaker position. And to be frank, they are. The Enterprise is crippled, shit's going down, and Khan's ready to shoot out the life support systems and kill them all. But Spock is able to trick him and make believe Khan that he's one, and then the missiles blow up, and that's great. And then we get to the whole scene where Kirk goes into the reactor after he punches Scotty in the face. He overpowers the voice of reason again. This saves the crew, so it could not be so it could be overlooked, but I will not favor it I will not in my favor of my later argument, which I will make. And at the moment where Kirk and Spock finally kiss, they are (laughs) equals. They are the tricky part of this hierarchy, and the rest of this movie is beatings. Yeah. So the tonal hierarchization, that's a fun word to say, sets up the concluding speech of the movie, sublimating the deep violent voices in favor of the for the more temperate ones. Marcus Khan and the only Klingons in this movie, the warlike entities, are all dead or close enough. Mm. Yeah. Even the old Kirk died, replaced by a more temperate one, able to give a speech, even if that ending was wackadoo and senseless. Uh, it's just, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said it was just Kirk re- learning how to be a g- captain again. So. Yeah, it was me. Yeah. And that's
0: my big, one of my biggest problems with the movie, is it's well, the same character. Every character is the same work
3: they had in the first Yeah. Okay.
1: And, and to, to tie on to your point, when Kirk finally dies... The, uh Spock finds his voice when he does the con yeah. scream. Yeah. And now he's voiced and powerful, and then he goes, and he's going to beat the stew out of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch.
0: I'm not going to... Well, Ben's a dream Cumber, Cabbage Patch. <laughs> I like
2: Ben's dream Cabbage Patch better. <laughs> okay, but here's what I want to do. The title of my analysis is Star- Tone and Into Darkness A Formalist Reading of Touches of Feminism and Colonialism Okay But the only voices that are worth noticing Are those of white males mm-hmm. White men are always doing or trying to do stupid things While others from minority groups Such as Scotty, a Scots person Chekhov from Russia And Uhura, a black woman Well, try l- and l- l- sp- lest
0: we forget about uh, The really, really, really underutilized Mr. Sulu yes who, who does get to put on his big white boy pants at one point if you
2: trust me you will fail
0: but yeah it doesn't have anything to do
2: in this movie did I skip I really did skip that I meant to say when, when Sulu uh, Sulu shows her his big dog. yeah exactly yeah. but ultimately Khan doesn't care at that point because he still tries to kick the shit out of Spock Kirk and a, and only after his he squad walked,
0: Klingons
1: yeah. yeah and only All after he learns <laughs> that it's
2: something he cares about does he stop fighting the missiles are no deterrent Sulu's threat in effect is worthless Scotty says the bombs sir Chekhov says I kind of know engineering sir Sulu says uh sure I can bluff oh here's that point I was going to make and Uhura to Spock if you kill him you'll kill Kirk and lest we forget at the very beginning of this movie now take that Khan versus Hayward thing out of your back pocket this whole fiasco starts because Khan overpowers a person of color Mm.
1: boom yeah, you're on. You're on. I mean, absolutely. I think voiced and voicelessness and, and voicelessness has a lot to do with how the action takes place in the story. Also, I think you're tying into how casting works. Just how we are. We have to shorthand because films only have two and a half hours in order to uh, get through the narrative. And so we have created these shorthands, and they are typically patriarchal, white, hierarchical, English. English and uh, very very power centric in sort of a repressive kind of way, and so if you need powerful characters, you might do young for a powerful character that you want to be a hero that way they're not all powerful, but you'll make sure that the powerful are definitely white middle aged and have a deep, peter Weller's deep ass yeah. voice. with very, very deep voices to wreck you, yeah, I think you're absolutely
0: on something there for sure, well, I think it's a really good I mean we talk about you know um whiteness in genre films a lot on the show, particularly in action films. That's something I've talked about a lot on the show, and I think that's a really good point of how it can be uh, much more subliminal than you even realize as this expression of uh, patriarchy and whiteness and big dickery uh, through through tone, and I think that's a really good point. But I, I appreciate that a lot. Mr. Donald Spirit. what analysis do you bring, sir? Uh, well, let's talk about terrorism, because that's fun. Yeah. Well, oh, oh yeah, Lord. It's, well... Um, <laughs> we've talked about uh, cultural shorthands on this show before. Um, I honestly don't remember, but I recall that uh, Star Wars was invoked to talk about cultural shorthands and why they're important. Um, I want to say it was, uh, you know, uh, Harry Potter? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. The point is we've talked about cultural shorthands before, and we're going to talk about them again. Um, throughout the last, I want to say, five to seven years, uh, we've seen a really troubling phenomenon and this is something that was talked a lot uh, about it was discussed at great length when this film came out in the summer of 2013 Uh, and that is depictions of 9-11 imagery in uh, in action films Mm -hmm. Uh, and we've been seeing terrorism as a plot point since the the mid-80s since global terrorism really kind of became a thing Uh, it's i mean true lies the bad guys are arab terrorists i mean so this is nothing new to action films what we see in the wake of nine eleven is terrorism dropped into other settings. Be it they, a comic book film, uh, all the Batman Nolan movies uh, mm-hmm. are, are center on terrorists and terrorist attacks. Um, and here we see. Um, the main character, Khan, is a terrorist. Right. Uh, Khan was not a terrorist. Who
1: crashes his ship into buildings. Ka- Khan used to be spaceships. <laughs> spaces. yeah.
0: ship into a city. Who into crashes. a city. He he does 9-11 times 5. Like, right. it's he he flattens uh, San Francisco mm-hmm. by crashing a big-ass ship into it. Yeah, right?
1: well,
0: at least... An airship. yeah. <laughs> at least hate Ashbury. There's just, just one area yeah. there. Um, least, yeah. my, my point is, though, we're circling back around, Khan didn't used to... Khan used to be spaceships. Because mm-hmm. that was our frame of reference for badness. Uh, and in that way of trying to invoke badness and scariness and trouble uh, and stakes, we invoke 9-11. Uh, I really want you to think here about uh, not just Star Trek Into Darkness, but a film that came out only a month later, and that's Man of Steel. Mm, yeah. And these are films where we see these just really awful, catastrophic leveling of buildings with people inside of them. Really really horrible.
2: The damage total somebody did was a billion dollars.
0: Yeah, somebody did the math on both of these films uh, and just to kind of vary what the casualties and the and the numbers were uh, and it was catastrophic. Uh, and that troubles me. And that's not because we shouldn't invoke the real world in superhero films or science fiction. We should always be doing that because it gives them more gravitas, it gives them more weight, it gives them more impact. What we shouldn't be doing is using this cultural shorthand. This thing that we've all seen a thousand times, the footage of Ground Zero, we shouldn't be taking that trauma and desensitizing ourselves to it. We should be paying respect to that, Uh, and here in Star Trek Into Darkness, it literally serves just to be like, oh shit, that was a big explosion. Um, Because the people of San Francisco seem to pretty much just be milling about still when uh, Spock chases after Khan. And that's really troubling to me. I mean, everybody's like, oh, that's the big ship. Uh, and then it explodes, and crap, and that's bad. And, and then foot chases, and everyone seems to pretty much just be going about their day. Yeah, I mean, when they're riding, like, garbage trucks or something? Yeah, exactly. I would abandon my garbage room. Yeah, the city probably would have ground a screeching halt at that point. I would think. You would think. I don't want to get too much into another film here, but we see this a little bit in Man of Steel, that we get to actually see people on the ground being affected by what's going on. Now, is it enough to justify what's happening? I don't think so. I really don't. Uh, But I find this troubling in both films is that we have this, you know, decade uh, and change later, out from 9 11, we see this popular desensitization towards catastrophic uh, violence and catastrophic uh, destruction, where people just kind of continue to go about their business in the wake of a tragedy. Uh, And this tragedy has been twisted into a plot. And I find that very troubling because we are better than this. We are better than this as filmgoers and the people that give us films that and bless them for doing so, the people that make films are better than this as filmmakers. There is a better way to do this. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't make terrorism a theme or a plot point or anything. I think as with... You can make a good movie out of anything. And I think with terrorism that is doubly true. You just need to be a little bit more nuanced with it you can't just be like terrorism is a buzzword so that is our buzzword and buildings falling is is cultural shorthand is a visual shorthand so that is our shorthand there is more to be said to Khan there's more to be said for Star Trek's take on terrorism there is more to be said of the terror and the violence of the real world and I think it's a really big mistake to keep using 9-11 as a visual shorthand It seems to have gotten better, particularly with Pacific Rim and Godzilla. These are large-scale destruction films where we actually do see the people on the ground reacting to this. People are trying to evacuate and get out of the way of the damage. Uh, So, I don't know. Maybe we're getting better at this in the last two years or so. Maybe not. All right, well, thank you for that very much, Mr. Dalton. Dustin, what do you you think about this movie? Well, I want to do some... I
1: don't want to do what I'm going to have to do. Okay. I want to... I want to give credit somehow To Abrams and the screenwriting crew Of this film
0: That they're not guilty Of what I'm about to describe Because May I interject and say It's Kurtzman and Orsi So probably they are guilty Of what you're about to describe Because they wrote the Transformers movies <laughs> uh, And also Cowboys Cal- <laughs> And really a, a, bunch of, a whole bunch of other Linda Lindelof I'll give a pass Because he's a smart guy So
1: I'm going to do something We rarely do on this show because we're a bunch of dudes, I'm gonna give some feminist feminist criticism as you should of this film, and I really, really want to get. And again, I don't think I need to let Abrams off the hook.
0: No, and I'm you gonna, can't. I'm
1: gonna tell you why. I know like, why. Carol Keep going. Wallace. Yeah. But, but, well, there's more than
0: just that.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, there is.
1: I I want them. To, I want to think in my head somewhere that the reason why it's so sexist is because the early series made in the 60s and the miniskirts and. You know, we didn't have a whole Yeoman size. Yarg or whatever her name was. I forget her name now. The blonde lady uh, that was in the early series. You know, it was kind mm. of the object mm. uh, of that. There's, there's even a, a, a female character who's a, who plays the object in the Con episode early on in the first season of the series. And so I, I, I want to say, okay, so there's sort of like a need to nod the fact that they wear skirts and not pants at this point for women characters yeah. in Starfleet. And so there's gonna to have to be a little bit of this sexualization but I kept watching the movie and I kept realizing no actually the point is that we have to make women into objects as we make this film and it really deserves now of course we have the the, the much-referred scene where they uh, where Kirk and Carol Marcus go on the shuttle and she decides to change into a flight suit, I guess. Yeah,
0: presumably. Or, or something. Presumably. Male gaze, a- atasticness. But but for no reason we put, that's, that's we put, gaze g a z e.
1: We put Alice Eve in her underwear so yeah. we can look at her, or yes. so that Jim Kirk can look at her, mm-hmm. who is always turning around saying "Hello, ladies," Jim Kirk. Yeah. Repeatedly in this particular film, we have two ladies of Asian descent who happen to have cat tails. Also, just so that we can look at them and at their bodies. We have Uhura, who functions only as Spock's love interest.
0: Well, unless we forget, we have Star Trek 2009, where we have Jim Kirk with Green Lady whose body we get to Google, also. Correct. So Whoa. this is an ongoing thing here.
1: The, in, in, in this particular film, though, is it, really, really troubling because, again, these women in skirts, they are only objects of
0: our look, of our gaze with a Z. it's not. Yeah, it's not a problem, because Jim Kirk has always been implied to be a, um, a claimer of lands far and wide <laughs> uh, throughout the series, and now, you know, it's 30 years later, we can actually kind of be a little so, less subtle about that. Yeah. But the problem isn't that that happens. The problem is that's the only thing that happens. Correct.
1: And and so what we have then is his use of women. We'll get to Alice Eve again, and we'll get to Ahura here in just a moment. But again, these women that we see, they, they form background, and they form background that objectifies them. We see women being objectified in a way that either Kirk turns around and says, Hi, I'm Jim Kirk, to a woman. Or even in the attack scene, there happens to be a female officer that's in that circle of tables, and we get an upskirt shot of her from Kirk's point of view, obviously, and she quickly moves her hand to cover herself up. What? Uh, it's, it's very quick, it's very brief, but people are hitting the deck, and you see the single female these single female officer who happens to be in the room, and you get an upskirt shot of her for just the briefest of seconds. Of course, we have the brief naked scene, or underwear scene, of Alice. Eve. We have the strange introduction of Uhura in the first film, anyway, which, by the way, the reason why you never actually see her rear end, but all you think about is her rear end, because you see her rear end in the reflection of a... M- Picture on the wall, and then it moves to her. You never—it's—it's it's, it's from a mid waist up. The entire shot is. But your brain's thinking. Is this in the darkness, this or is into darkness. This is the first film, the, first one. the introduction when she's walking through the bar. Okay. The, the, that that amazingly kinetic introduction to O'Hara. Okay. Uh, there, when her, Kirk hits on her and has napkins hanging out of his nose. Yes. Yeah,
0: that was a good fight. It was a good fight. <laughs> <laughs> so you have
1: all of this sort of objectification happening. throughout. Also, you have these female characters actually. Forming background. Alice Eve is standing on the other side of the torpedo while Kirk and Scotty are talking about the virtues of keeping it on the ship and she's acting because she knows she's in the frame and she has no idea what to do and so she's kind of looking here and thinking and kind of looking at them and thinking and kind of looking away and thinking and she's actually functioning purely as background. And then later at the end of the film we have sort of our hero shots of everybody and Scotty talking about how we're ready for our long journey, which is really weird and hokey. That we have Spock and Kirk speaking with Ohura just standing in the background, waiting for Spock to come by eventually when she gets when he gets done talking to Jim and just nodding and acknowledging her and then walk away. She's just background decoration. Then Marcus herself functions as a piece of property to be moved from one family patriarchal unit to another. She belongs to her dad, Colonel or Admiral or whatever his bucket is. Navy Marcus, Admiral. Marcus. She belongs to him, therefore he moves her to her to his ship at will. Of course, Benedict Cumberbatch commits violence against her body by breaking her leg to move her uh when they move her back to the ship and then when finally they do have the hero shot at the conclusion the statement Kirk makes is welcome to the family because now you belong to me and he's the patriarchal father of this unit of course she's also the father of his son that he has in the Wrath of Khan movie so it all goes full circle in this way that she is this piece of property and or decoration and these women merely serve as either sight gags like our two-tailed uh Somewhat Asian, vaguely Asian feline mm-hmm. characters, or they the wrath are
2: the Lieutenant Uhura.
1: The the, ra- uh, the thank you for the Wrath of Lieutenant Uhura. that the, they're ball busters. They're absolute ball busters, and that's what Uhura funk is. That she's absolutely busting Spock's balls every chance she gets. And when she goes out to walk out and talk to the Klingons, Spock is saying, "You could be mad, you can make the Klingons mad at us, or you can make Uhura mad at us." And the joke is. You don't want to make that woman mad. And then, of course, she literally becomes a ball buster, seizing the knife from the Klingon, stabbing him in the balls. Yes, he does. Yes, she does. With thigh. Upper groin.
0: Yeah. Upper groin. <laughs> and again,
1: so she, when she finally achieves some power, the only character who achieves some power is because she's an emasculator. Yeah. Not because she's in any way sort of this equal sort of woman walking alongside these other characters.
0: You're absolutely right, though. The only time a woman takes power is by emasculating a man, so be careful. I know. Because if you, give them, uh, if you give them an inch, they'll take your length. Right. Well, If but you please, give them an inch, they'll take your inch. If
1: you give them pants, they'll take over. Yeah. I, it seems to be yeah. the logic of the film. And it is very troubling. And, and, and even though I do enjoy watching this movie, this is, this is troubled. Trouble, troubled, film
0: hacking. And I think we've all touched on that in one way or another, is that there are a lot of issues with this film, tonally, uh, structurally, uh, however way you want to slice it, there are some really serious issues with this film.
3: Don't agree with me, Spock. It makes me very uncomfortable.
0: That being said, James Kirk has fantastic taste in music, because the only music we ever hear, him listen to, ever hear him listening to in both films is the Beastie Boys. So thank you, gentlemen, very much. I'm very excited that we uh, discussed this and the Wrath of Con so close to I me. am too. Yeah.
1: All right, guys, let's move on to our verdict, though. Uh, shelf for Trash, Else or Instead. I think perhaps we have telegraphed some of our conclusions, but I am very curious to hear your else's and or instead's. I ask you first, Mr. Philip Harvey, what do you say? shelf for Trash, and what Else or Instead would you watch based on that first decision? Oh, man. That's
2: a tough one. Uh, if it's your Netflix self, Sure. But if it's an actual physical shelf that exists in reality, I would say trash. Um, What I would suggest instead... You guys covered this on a previous episode. I'd say watch Serenity. Mm. Um, And for some reason, this movie keeps coming to mind, though. It's completely out of the blue. You could watch... Alien or aliens? If you want to get the action going down, because I believe those are two very well constructed sci-fi worlds. And except for a questionable, a very long, questionable sequence at the end of the first movie, pretty woman in power. There's a
0: little bit of the woman objectification, but mostly power. We, we might have to put a moratorium on both of those films because they come up a lot. Yeah, uh, but they're so good. Yeah, we love them here, uh, and that's yeah. why we might have. To stop and they're talking the only ones about. I can
2: think of right now.
0: Yeah, no, they're great films. Good choices. Sure. Good choices. All, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say?
3: I like it. It's on my shelf. There's a completist in me. I thought it was one of the better blockbusters of 2013, uh, so it's there. Um, but I think you watch this with all the uh, movies it harkens back to, starting with The Dark Knight, and then you watch Skyfall, and then you watch The Avengers. Mm-hmm. I think you can have a fun night. I was at
0: Skyfall,
1: so
3: that's my yeah. pick. And yeah. it crumble.
0: Oh, but, oh, you mean Skyfall into Man of Steel's darkness? Yes. Yeah.
2: Avenging... The, tr- the con? Every movie that
0: came out between 2012 and 2013 were basically the same
1: movie. It seems
2: like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Well,
0: Dalton, what do you say? Uh, I would say, fuck all these blockbusters. Go watch Zero Dark Thirty, which is a much better look at the human cost of terrorism and the human cost of staring into the abyss. Dark Walker. No. you no. watch Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty is a much better film. And we see the human cost that we don't see in Into Darkness, where we see that chasing monsters can destroy you. Um, and also, we get really one of the best depictions of 9-11 which is a black screen and and audio from the day Mm. and it's one of my favorite scenes from that film and I just I love Zero Dark Thirty and I can't say enough good things about it Uh, so that's what I have to say about that ladies and gents oh I didn't actually say Shelf for Trash did I um stream it it's a streamer yeah this is going to be on TNT for the next 30 years Uh, it'll probably be on Netflix for the next 90 so you don't need to buy this movie Uh, who cares
1: I would probably go ahead and say it's shelfable out of a $5 bin. Okay. In In that regard, I, you don't want to go out and buy this the day of the release and get the $30 Blu-ray, DVD, ultraviolet, double package. You, you don't need that from this particular film. It's it's fun, it's, it's time well spent, it's serviceable, but it's not the best blockbuster, it's not the best Star Trek movie, it's not the best science fiction film, so there you have it. I would say instead... If you really want to just watch good action, thoughtful science fiction, watch Schwarzenegger's Total Recall. Really, I mean, go back in there and there's an interesting concept, there's something going on there, and it's fun science fiction romp that's a little sexy, but it's also a little empowering as well, and that's kind of fantastic. In addition to Total Recall, I think you ought to watch Man of Steel. I think it is a movie that is doing some of the same sort of things, but I think it's generally more interesting. And doesn't have the sexual problems. There is a woman with not as much to do, but she's at least a little bit more empowered. And I do love the character of Clark Kent's mother from
0: Kansas. There are three pretty badass women in that movie, uh, and one of them makes me feel a lot of feels. Um, is
2: she that uh, fire lady?
0: Obviously, yeah, if I'm you listen that. to this show more than once, you know which one doesn't th- does it for me. All right, <laughs> Dalton has a tie. so I would say it's, it's Ursula, obviously.
1: And so those are my recommends. We'd like to hear your recommends, dear listener. We'd like to know what you think about what we thought. We'd like to know what you would say about what we said. And so the only way that, that can occur is through the various sundry miracles that are called social media. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about that?
3: Uh, yeah, you could email us, uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Good Trash Genre Cast. Um, Got a couple bits of feedback coming in. Caleb Masters gives me props for dropping the mic on the first analysis of Jurassic Park and says that it gives a new meaning to respect the beard. So thank you, Caleb. Uh, Also, Brigham posed a possible future game in concept albums that we would like to see turned into movies. Uh, He also posted a link to a video about how the moon landing could not have been faked and referenced Room 237.
0: Thank you, Brigham, because if there's anything I hate... It's conspiracies and If there's anything I hate more than conspiracies It's movies about conspiracies If there's anything that I hate more than movies about conspiracies It's documentaries pretending movies are about conspiracies
3: And that's what we have coming in from Facebook
0: Okay, well
1: thank you very much Mr. Arthur Gordon um, Mr. Donald Stewart, is there another means of social media that you know anything about? Tumblr
0: was a fiction created the moment I was awakened by your Facebook to help advance his cause A smokescreen to conceal my true identity My name is Twitter Ladies and gentlemen You can find the Good Trash Genre cast on Twitter At good underscore trash We'll go ahead and get Through what I gotta say Is a fair Amount of Feedback coming in from the Twitter really cool, cool, cool. I don't think I mentioned this last week uh, On our Jurassic Park episode Because I might have gotten these hits uh, After we actually recorded uh, David McIntyre, who I mentioned last week as giving us some feedback, went ahead and gave us some more feedback in regard to our Donnie Darko episode. Just plugged the episode. Said if you'd like to hear some really non-pretentious and awesome analysis of Donnie Darko, you should listen to our show. So thank you for that, cool. Davey. You can check out his band, Just Marco, on the Facebook. I was uh, well of you to call us not pretentious. Yeah, we try. Maybe not entirely true, but very sweet. But he knows how much I hate pretension, so that was nice of him to count out. Uh, to me, thanks, Davy. Uh, Caleb Masters hit us with some news. He's trying to take Brigham's place as our resident news guy, uh, and gave us the the uh, full length, I guess, the second full length trailer to Guardians of the Galaxy, in which mm-hmm. we get to hear uh, Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon and Vin Diesel as Groot. So that was pretty nifty. Uh, Brigham went ahead and tweeted uh, in our in our behalf and said he had a fun time on the Jurassic Park you wanna uh he had a fun time chatting up Jurassic Park movies, pop culture and more with us. Not everything he said will make it to air. Dot dot dot. He said some funny things. Most anyway. of what he said made it to air. Pretty much. There was some there was some shenanigans had. But we're we're you know, we like to keep it raw. We like to keep it uh, uncut with the baby powder. We like to get you a pure product when we can. Uh as always we got the myriad retweets and favorites which we always enjoy. Uh how is this movie? Um Went ahead and followed us. I, I don't know what how is this movie is, but uh, they're an excellent awesome. podcast that is uh,
1: fantastic. They don't. That's right. We
0: talked about them. They I don't. They it. don't
1: quite do what we do. They do sort of orbital issues surrounding cinema. They've had episodes about the Hollywood blacklist. They, they've talked a little bit about the MPAA and ratings, hmm. and they talk a little bit about history surrounding film, which is
0: something that comes up on the show every once in a while. But and
1: I, I, I find it very very fascinating what they do. And they're they're really a solid show. I really hmm. like what they do a lot.
0: Well, they did go ahead. And um, get us a follow in favor, uh, uh, and we thank them f- for uh, following us. And you know, just really happy to to be a part of that bigger global podcast uh, community. We also got a retweet uh, from an article. Um, well, I mentioned an article from our podcast by uh, James Oster. He writes for Joe Blow. He writes specifically for their kind of their horror section. Uh, Nick. Samford gave me this article it's basically about are, are we becoming too cynical as film goers and basically telling people to shut the hell up and have fun at Godzilla basically um, and it was a really interesting article that kind of touches on some of the same things we talk about which is we talked about it with this just because you disagree with a film doesn't mean you can't uh, enjoy it and yeah. have a good ride um, we talk about that a lot but he went ahead and uh, favorited and retweeted uh, our mention of him so thank you Mr. Oster uh, really great uh, I've read some of his work and it's all very interesting uh, Nick Sanford also gave us a plug and said, If you love movies and you'd be a big silly gooberhead to not listen to the Good Trash and Outercast Podcast at least eight times. <laughs> or, or the ad Good Trash Podcast, rather. Uh, we got a follow from Movie Trailers HD and Lily. I love movies. Don't know if those are real people. Don't care. Thanks for the follows <laughs> at any rate. Uh, finally, we do have some feedback from Brad Lepperson.
1: Sander.
2: <laughs> <Carlson. laughs>
0: it was a it was a two part tweet so I'm gonna read it as one tweet
3: okay.
0: before his deathbed slash regret hallucination hashtag Donnie Darko disassociated and threw his little sister in a well there Samantha Darko was later discovered by Naomi Watts hashtag <laughs> conversions hashtag Donnie Darko hashtag the ring mm-hmm. thank you <laughs> thank you Brad Leperson uh, once again for your snark Uh, We, as always, appreciate you. You are one of our favorite commenters. Rest assured. (laughs) In spite
1: of your leprosy (laughs) (laughs) We are of course available At podbeam.com That's where our website and our podcast Is hosted You can find us also on Tumblr .tumblr Goodtrashundercast.tumblr.com We're available at Stitcher Internet Radio And of course at iTunes And if you rate us at iTunes with a 5 star rating And you say things we'll read the entirety Of whatever it is you happen to say About us (laughs) in said radio (laughs) Even if
0: you only give it 1 star And say we suck and we've never seen a movie in our lives, and we should
2: all kill ourselves uh, via AIDS fire, we'll read that, too. If it's a three-star and you quote Moby Dick, they'll read that, too. We'll read that twice, actually. (laughs) Indeed, we shall. So
1: please, please do that. It helps us a lot uh, when you give us ratings on iTunes about getting the message and the conversation out there to a bigger and broader audience. Well, let's move on, guys, because, you know, I'm looking at my watch and the timer on the garage van, and I realize it's time to play the game.
3: Time to play the game
1: (laughs) This week's game is actually inspired by something that was brought up last week. We talked about Zack Snyder's possible spin-off Star Wars movie in which We would have a young Yoda doing a seven samurai remake defending the planet. It was
0: totally new yeah it was just a spin-off. Just just Seven Samurai inspired Star Wars spin off.
1: And and then we talked about how even you could do that with a Klingon film where there were just this group of sort of disavowed, perhaps dishonored Klingons who were gonna defend this planet and how that'd be a great movie. And then we realized that the Star Trek and Star Wars universes are great resources in which one could do a spin off science fiction version. Of great films in those universes. And not
0: only are they joined in that regard by huge expanded universes, by uh, huge varied places that can uh, have these different influences coming in, they're also sure a director because J.J. Abrams is going to direct Star Wars Episode 7. So we figured what better episode to dive deeper into this idea of what films do you want to see remade uh, as a Star Trek uh, spinoff film or as a Star Wars spinoff film? Right, so and, there... And if you're interested in including your director for said dream film, feel free. Yeah, knock yourself out, but don't expect it from
1: all of us. Yes. Yeah. So, I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, sir? All
3: right, I'll start with my star, my soul, Star Wars, because we're doing both universes. Um, I would like to see a film um, featuring, focusing on Uncle Ben as a younger man before he takes in Luke. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's about a trip that he takes with his father. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Who's struggling with a dementia, Alzheimer's type disease? Directed by Alexander Payne. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, simply entitled "Tatooine," <laughs> which is a remake of Nebraska, If you were so, picking up there, so big Kenobi and Thanks, his guys.
0: And does he give him a new uh, <laughs> yeah. land speeder at the end <laughs> yeah. of that film? You son of a bitch
3: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh. Alright <clears throat> Moving into the Star Trek-averse I want to see a film focusing on an important battle in the Klingon War In the vein of Saving Private Ryan Directed by Neil Blomkamp mm. I want to see a college romp in the vein of Animal House Focusing on all of the young cadets As they make their way through the Fleet Academy yes. Directed by Adam McKay Yeah I want to see an older, wiser, meaner bones in a House M.D. style film where he is solving medical mysteries, uh, trying to stop an outbreak on the Ferengi homeworld or something, directed by Steve McQueen.
0: I mean, yeah. Yeah. I
3: want a sci-fi horror film where the Borg are destroying a world. Uh, The Starfleet is only mentioned in passing, if at all. I want it to be directed by the M. Night Shyamalan who directed The Sixth Sense. I want that director back. And finally, I want to see a standalone film about Worf uh, before he joined the Academy. Maybe a Rambo-style revenge film or something. I just want to see Michael Dorn rip crap up. Uh, And I want it directed by Gareth Evans of The Raid fame. You're welcome.
1: Excellent picks. Well done. Well played, sir. I guess we can all go home now. But we'll keep playing nonetheless. Mr. Dalton Stewart,
0: what do you say? Well, first of all, I'd like to see... Uh, a Yijimbo Fistful of Dollars One Man Turns Two Gangs Against Each Other Starring uh, Boba Fett or Mace Windu Take your pick Do you like Bounty Hunters or do you like Jedi Don't Give a Shit Directed by John Woo mm. That would be awesome I would like to see that Zack Snyder Seven Samurai film mm-hmm. uh, A la with Jedi Or with Klingons, who cares I want to see uh, Joe Carnahan of and um, uh, Aces and uh, several episodes of television shows and the A-team fame take on the clone wars colon dirty dozen yeah uh Christopher Nolan directs the searchers or the missing doesn't matter both westerns both looking for missing girls uh but starfleet mm-hmm. so uh, they got to go find somebody important's kid uh and they got to go into like deep romulan borg I don't who kids shit it's cool it's you <laughs> romulan plus borg yeah i don't care uh people are missing you got to go find them uh, Neil Blomkamp directs a Man on Fire uh, type mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. where he gets to touch on his issues of class and race uh, where maybe a Klingon d- defending somebody importance kid uh, so yeah I mean don't you
3: want that a with, with Denzel, yeah, with Denzel, Denzel it. as the Klingon yes, <laughs> yes obviously or as a Borg who cares it doesn't matter all that matters is if we're going to get to touch on these
0: issues of class and race uh, and somebody's going to get their spine ripped out I like it uh, finally Finally, Gareth Evans directs uh, a film in which, obviously I'm going to talk about Gareth Evans, I love the Raid, uh, directs a Die Hard remake set in the Star Wars universe uh, in which a lone Jedi is stuck in Nakatomi Space Station, uh, (laughs) which is just absolutely full of dark Jedi who are uh, acting like they're going to ransom all these people. Yeah, it's it's Die Hard about the Jedi. Uh, directed by Gareth Evans And there's gonna be A whole lot of Badass stuff going on And I thought of One more David Slade Of 30 Days of Night And Hard Candy fame uh, Does something Aliens-y uh, With Starfleet So they're all Cornered by Some sort of Vicious Soulless uh, Tribble Giant Giant Tribbles Giant Tribbles. Giant, <laughs> giant man-eating triples Directed
3: by David Slade Oh, uh, There's a Gremlins remake in there with Triple. There is a
0: Gremlins remake, I like it Thank
1: So you. those are mine, I, uh, I had a lot, kept them quick Thank you very much for your brevity And also
2: for all of those picks, Mr. Dalton Stewart What do you say, Mr. Philip Harvey? You kind of stole my first idea But Which only is... halfway Star Trek plus 30 Days of Night okay, Plus The Descent Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you have a director for that, or I don't know a director. Doesn't matter. Doesn't That's matter. really cool. Exactly. You get a strong female protagonist. You could also probably throw some pitch black in there for good effect. Get a strong female protagonist going down into the underworld of a planet filled with space vampires. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Starfleet stuck with something scary. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, Star Wars, plus Dark Souls, the video game, <laughs> where, where you get someone, you get a Jedi trapped in a causal loop where there's, somebody gets stuck in a causal loop where every time they die, they have to go do something again. Maybe a little bit Groundhog's Day, but at the same time, they're just trying to get over this one goal. I mm, like it. Some strange force thing going on there. And then Star Trek plus Cloverfield. Maybe directed by Guillermo del Toro. J.J. Abrams is attached to both of those uh, things, so... I like it.
0: like it very much. Dustin Sells, what are your picks for this fun game? Well, I'm going to go some old-school
1: movies that I'd like to see, and I'd like to see certain Star Trek characters playing uh, the characters in, in the film in question. And so, first of all, I want to see Spock as Richard Dreyfus mm-hmm. in the
3: Jaws, yeah, perhaps <laughs> slightly
1: mashed up against some some sort of Jurassic Parky idea where this species has come back that was not around at all, and he has to give all the sciency expositional dialogue about this particular beast. Perhaps a great white shark raised from extinction.
0: I don't know. Man goes into a starship. A starship goes into hyperdrive. <laughs> Giant worm into hyperdrive. Man doesn't come out.
1: <laughs> but but Spock shows up to help yeah. them finally kill the shark. Yeah, I, I think it'd be it's very all all very good. good times. I'd like to see sort of an origin story of one Bones McCoy, uh, Carl Urban specifically. He's so great. Bones McCoy, how this woman who broke his heart, he left him with nothing but his bones. But I want to see it something as a remake of Vertigo. Do you want to try with the... holograms and all the
0: deceit that occurred that way? Do you want to try that one more time? She left him with nothing but his bones.
1: Bones. bones. <laughs> <laughs> bones. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Carl Urban, (laughs) so So much. So I'd like to see something all of Vertigo that way. And speaking of Jimmy Stewart and Alfred Hitchcock, I'd like to see Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard in a Rear Window remake in which he's stuck in a wheelchair. And (laughs) and,
0: it has a view to a house full of mutated tribbles, And it's a school for mutated tribbles. Oh, sorry
1: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> It's so hilarious It could be actually kind of awesome And I'd like to see Alice Eve Play his way too young and way too interested <laughs> Grace Kelly girlfriend While he is trying to solve the mystery Of what he may have seen Across the way wherever he happens to be uh, Doing his um, Rehabilitating at. And I think it'd be kind of fantastic And slightly
0: Professor Xe. And that's good times. Do you have any uh, Star Wars picks? No.
1: No? Well, all right then. So, as we come towards the close of our show, we have to do what we always do, and talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Dull Dirty, you fired up? Uh, a little bit, not a whole, whole lot.
0: I was able to catch X-Men Days of the Future uh, that already happened. Um, I liked it a lot. I don't know if it's the best... Uh, X Men movie. Um, I really liked the Wolverine from last year. I think it's underrated, uh, other than that shit-awful third act. Uh, but Days of Feature Pass is a lot of fun. Brian Singer's like, hey, look, it's grim and gritty like everything else that's out right now. No, it's not. It's the 70s, and it's interesting to look at <laughs> and colorful. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Parts of it work better than others, but yeah. I mean that's kind of what happens with our superhero films. It's definitely the best movie Brian Singer's made in a long time. That's fair. Um, and it always makes me ha- happy to see Bad Hat Harry Productions because it's um, a monochromatic remake of the famous lineup scene from uh, from The Usual Suspects. Yeah. Ooh, a Usual Suspects related Star Wars Star Trek remake. Ooh. Anyway, uh, it was fun. It was good. But speaking of causal loops, Phil Harvey. Before I saw X-Men Days of Future Past, there was a trailer for Tom Cruise's Edge of Tomorrow. Which looks interesting enough. It's Starship Troopers meets Groundhog's Day. Fine, whatever. Edge of Tomorrow is a terrible, terrible title. You know what's a better title? The fucking tagline for the movie, live period, die period, repeat period. That is a cool title. Edge of Tomorrow... Speaking of and Cole, sounds like a really crappy concept album <laughs> by a prog rock band that nobody remembers.
2: Yeah, Mr. Phil Harvey, are you fired up this week? I'm fired up this week about something I've loved for a long time but I've never heard on this podcast. And that little thing is a little radio program called Welcome to Night not I'm so fired up about it, I can barely speak about it as much I love it's it. It's pretty amazing. It is. It's For those of you who don't remember that past episode, it's NPR meets Twin Peaks. And the most recent episode Meets H.P. Lovecraft. Meets H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft. Well, I was going to say... Um, Uh, Prairie Home Companion
0: meets, which is an NPR, the the NPR show in question. Oh, okay. To be more specific.
2: I didn't know that. Um, The most recent episode is this wonderful, horrifying send-off to corporate culture where if you're not smiling enough, you're messing up the corporate machine. Smile. Smile bigger. Smile. And uh, it's so creepy and wonderful that I think everybody should listen to it. It is politically really subversive and
0: brilliant. The show is simultaneously hysterical and really off-putting and yes. like really terrifying. Yeah, which is my favorite kind of funny. One of my favorite episodes. Again, I only got into the probably the first dozen or so episodes. One of my favorite ones. That was um, this whole like they keep having to talk to upper management at the radio, which is like episode three. This tentacle monster that lives. Yeah, it's fucking fantastic.
2: I am now hiding under my desk because management has decided to come up from their office.
0: Yeah, it's really funny. Anything else,
2: Mr. Harvey? Uh, I'm also fired up by Supergiant uh, Games' newest release, Transistor. Um, if you do not know, oh. Transistor is from the creators of the video game Bastion. Mm-hmm. And it stars. It is a. Bastion's a good game. Transistor it's a good game. It's um, You play the role of Red, a woman who lost her voice, and you carry around a talking sword called the Transistor. And um, it's a cyberpunk... It's like film noir meets cyberpunk meets pastels. Yeah! I'm and in. I'm in. Where, I'm can in I I get Where can I get this? You can find Transistor on your local PC. Oh, is it a Steam game? It's a Steam game. It's also on the PS4. Yes! Thank you for that,
1: Mr. Phil Harvey. Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week?
3: Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, <clears throat> some sad news coming out of Marvel. Edgar Wright has left Ant-Man over uh, various... Visionary discrepancies.
0: The fuck?
3: Yeah. yeah. I didn't
0: hear about this. What? I didn't hear about this, this last
3: whole... last week, prior so last God. few days. Really sad. That's saddening. A,
0: that's the whole reason I was excited about that movie. I know.
3: I'm, I'm up in the air now. Um, I also saw Days of Future Past. I echo Dalton. I don't think it's the best. I still think X two and I, I don't know X two Days of Future Past may be on the same level. But I love First Class. I think First Class is the best. I uh, I do think that it that it went to great strides to erase the. Fallacies of Last Stand, big time. which was probably the best thing it could have done, and hopefully we will continue on a string of good X-Men films following First Class, because I believe Apocalypse is set in the 80s with the First Class team.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a sequel to First Class, not to the original trilogy.
3: Which is exciting, and I'm sure Wolverine will show up. Um, The other thing is the HBO collection is on Prime, so that means Prime members have full access to The Wire, Deadwood, uh... Sopranos. Sopranos. Basically
0: every HBO show that's over.
3: I believe there's a three-year lapse because True Blood's on there. A few seasons of True Blood. Mm. uh, The first season of Boardwalk Empire. uh, Flight of the Concord, So there is plenty. And I believe they are going to add Newsroom, Veeb later. All those will come eventually.
0: that's fantastic. And
3: so I think the big thing is Game of Thrones won't be. But there's still a great collection of TV to check out. Uh, Finally, uh, I found out I have invites to go see A Million Ways to Die in the West. Uh, Seven of new movie, which looks pretty fun because I saw that there is a... uh, cut to uh, Back to the Future mm. reference in it. it they was- wasted probably their best joke on the trailer. Yeah, I did. But uh, I'm, I'm still excited to see it. And also 22 Jump Street, and I saw a trailer for that, and it looks pretty funny as well. So mm. could be a good year for comedy. Sounds
1: good. I'm excited about all of that, gentlemen. Thank you very much. I am fired up currently about something else going on in Marvel news. Drew Goddard, who was uh, attached to the Daredevil Netflix series, has dropped away from that because of his commitment to do the Sinister Six, Sinister Six film. So, unlike the Edgar Wright creative, visionary differences, Drew Goddard seems to have too much on his plate. With it's,
0: Drew Goddard choosing the money for... Uh,
1: well, I, the prestige. He's going to remain as a consultant on the, on the series, so I'm not totally without confidence in the new Dare, Daredevil Netflix series, but
0: there is something else rumbling there in the whole comic book. I Marvel would much story. rather see him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe than this stupid cash cow that is the Spider-Man franchise. That's for sure. I've recently been watching a television series on Netflix
1: that was recommended by a friend from the old school days that I really didn't know much about, and I didn't really think it was all that big of a deal. Apparently it went seven seasons. It's a political thriller called The West Wing
2: with Uncle Ben (laughs) as the president.
1: Did you really not know that was a thing? I I knew it happened. I knew some people watched it, but I really didn't know it was all that big. It's fantastic. I mean, it really was just one of those random discoveries where I'm like, dude, it's the guy from Captain America and ben. Uncle Ben. Yeah, Sorkin, Sorkin's, Sorkin's, Sorkin's right yeah. The first yeah. five
0: seasons, I think, or something like that. Can't go wrong with him. Uncle, did you say Uncle Ben? Yeah. Yeah. Uncle Ben from the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man series?
3: No, no, from the new. Martin
0: Sheen is Uncle Ben in the
1: new ones. Isn't it, whatever. The, yeah. what, Spider-Man's Spider-Man's dad. Yeah. Uncle, whatever. Yeah. Why do I keep? The point guys is, to talking about he's the fantastic, place. and he's the best president and the guy from Cabin in the Woods is in it. And it's just great. Yeah, It's had by all, and I'm in about the second season of it. And I'm really, 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 really enjoying
0: it. That good? It. It's really I'm going to check it out, people. I've seen to it one it episode, and I thought it was awesome. I knew it
1: existed. I knew it was a thing. I knew it came and went. And I realize now it's actually fantastic. I'm also very fired up about what's going on at the uh, the, the recent 67th Annual Can Film Festival. What happened? Well, they announced the winner, so I have a list of things I need to see. Because can t- tends to be a pretty good gauge of things I will like. So, the Palm d'Or winner, drum roll please. Does it involve
0: three hours of lesbian sex again? It
1: does not. Damn. It is a, uh, more of a Always war wonder. drama. It's actually sort of a uh, Grand Budapest Hotel without the comedy. Uh, Turkish drama called Winter Sleep. Hmm. And so I'm excited to see that I'm also excited to see Bennett Miller of Capote and Moneyball thing. He won the Best Director Award For his film Foxcatcher
0: That looks so good and yeah. So I super want to catch that yeah. Julian Moore won
1: Best Actress For her performance in a David Cronenberg film Which is sort of a dark poison love letter to Hollywood Also uh, called Maps to the Stars So I really really want to catch that And finally uh, Best Screenplay went to a Russian film Called Leviathan I don't know anything about it but typically, their best spring, spring bleh, their best screenplay winners tend to be really solid films, and so I'm excited to catch that as well. And that's what's got me fired up about pop culture. So I think that's a show, gentlemen. Thank you very much for all of those things. Thank that. you,
0: Phil Harvey, for joining us as a guest. I really appreciated your analysis.
1: Thank you for your time. And so here we go. We're at the end of the show, and we got to talk about what's going to happen next time, so you know what to see next. So next week, we're going to be doing our very first drive-in double feature. Here at the Good Trash Honor cast over the next two weeks. So we're announcing two weeks. The slate of films. And we're going to talk about these films as a pairing. Uh, probably in the second episode. But we're going to do the Grindhouse double feature from Mr. Robert Rodriguez and Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Next week we'll be looking at Planet Terror. Which is a zombie film. And the week following we'll be looking at Death Proof. Which is a sort of car movie. And uh, yeah, that's, that's one way to describe it with, with more things what you need to do in the meantime is check out one of those films or uh, both of those films you need to also fire us some feedback via the various means of social media and by all means get out and watch a movie with somebody you care about and then have a slice of pie and a conversation thereafter and talk about what matters in the movies and how they help us reflect on our lives and make us into better people and until then we'll see you next time
0: It's fun to do the voices. Do voice, Arthur. Do it for me. Which one? I don't care. I'm Batman. it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Batman had one too many. <laughs> I'm Batman. There you you can't tell me not to drive. <laughs> Alfred, Alfred, let's wear the I'm not God. Alfred, call tipsy toe. I think we're gonna charge double our normal rate, right, sir.
0: Alfred, I got shit hust. My cave's stuck in the bad blood. No no no. <laughs> no no, don't call, don't call Robin. No. <laughs> no, he already thinks I have a problem. <laughs> no. No, don't call Slater. It's called Susie Joe. That's
1: fine. <laughs>